I think it's at the quality level of just like getting a college degree, egg freezing prolongs your family future for whatever may happen in your life. And you don't know how the cards are going to fall. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Now here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Today on Inside Reproductive Health, I'm joined by this. Valerie has been working in women's health for startups in the fertility field for the last decade. She travels across the country building partnerships with fertility clinics. She's driving change for access to care, is a key voice in patient advocacy and education, especially for egg freezing. She documents her own about freezing her eggs. She has multiple social media channels on Instagram, on Twitter, and is very active in the blogosphere. Valerie hopes that by starting the conversation about protecting women's future selves with non-biased and fact-based information, that women will feel inspired, brave, and act progressively. Valerie, thank you so much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. Hey, Griff. It's great to be here. There are other people that I could ask if I wanted to talk to clinicians or embryologists about more about the clinical side of egg freezing, and we probably will have them on, but you can still talk a lot about that because I think you've done more research than any non-medical professional with this respect. You've also done it. You also talk to just about everybody in this field. And so for those, Matt, you give a little bit of context about how this came to be. Yeah, you know, there's, it's quite a history. It's an evolution of some sorts where essentially I didn't realize I was going to be such an advocate for egg freezing until I embarked on it myself and really saw the clinical benefits that it can give a woman in their reproductive years more time. And that's exactly what I needed. So in 2015, I froze my eggs for the first time one of many freezes I will end up eventually doing. But, you know, I I started the process and it felt kind of lonely. And and at the time in 2015, the landscape was such that not a lot of people wanted to be very public about this. It was kind of a hush hush thing. It's only four years ago, but in egg freezing terminology, seems like two decades ago. Oh yeah. I mean, a lot has changed even just since ASRM approved egg freezing for non-commercial or for commercial use, non-medical reasons. So, you know, it was a little taboo back then to even in, even within my clinics, like I'm in the industry, I've been working in women's health. I feel very fortunate that my career has been in medical sales because that has taught me about my reproductive system and my biological, like how my body works and when I can have kids. It taught me that throughout my entire career. And I think that if I wouldn't have had that experience of, you know, selling birth control to hormone replacement to, you know, working in the lab with the, with the clinicians and, and fertility clinics, I wouldn't have necessarily jumped on freezing my eggs at 33 years old, but back in 2015, that was, I was like really young for doing it. And everyone was like, oh, you have more time. The average egg freezer um, used to be around the age of 37, 38, 39. So that explains why a lot of people in the industry think it doesn't work because there's, there's lower results that, you know, you have to freeze more eggs and do egg math is what I call it in order to make a live human 
out of those eggs that you freeze. And so if you freeze younger, you can freeze less time with better results. But at the time, the landscape wasn't as such where they were encouraging that, right? So that makes me think, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I was watching, I went back to a piece that Broadly did, uh, Broadly being owned by Vice, they did like a 45 minute expose about egg freezing. Uh, And then I read another piece in the New York Times that came out last August, which was sort of scathing about commercial interest in egg freezing. But I felt like the article, were a little bit poorly researched in some respects or more misleading in some respects because they're sort of taught they were they touched on what you were talking about is well this used to be the service and because of commercial interests now they're targeting much younger women and i to me it seemed like well in the beginning that didn't seem like the most you know the highest yielding demographic to have so talk a little bit about that no, you bring up a really great point. And I'm, I'm blushing a little bit because I saw that, that vice broadly. And I was thinking like, gosh, we, we have so much work to do. This is a complex topic. It's fertility touches the core nerve of everyone's values and family. And so that is a deep root and you can't just, you know, a blanket statement. Oh, these these clinics or these standalone clinics or these egg freezing only focused places are targeting young people. It's where the best bang for your buck is. So why wouldn't they target? I mean, medically, that makes sense. I would encourage full heartedly with no, with no reservations that somebody that is straight out of college should do this as part of their, you know, it's no different than the milestone of completing college or buying a house. Like it's right up there with you for what you should do as a, as a female in today's society, we have this amazing science, this amazing technology that took years to develop and perfect. And currently it's the best thing that we have for prolonging our, our fertility futures and at least being reproductively biologically still uh, right up there with with men. That's that's really bullish on egg freezing in terms of who should do it in terms of its overall utility. I don't know if if I would echo that same messages strongly. I guess I just don't have a reason to. But it's- well, think think about. Okay, I just challenge you on this aspect. Think about like how busy our lives get, and. You don't know. I've seen I've seen 25-year-olds get cancer. So when's a great time to freeze? When when you when you're faced with your life or death situation, or if something happens in your life, or you know, it, maybe you're not financially ready, but it I think that it just like it's at the quality level of just like getting a college degree, egg freezing prolongs your family future for whatever may happen in your life. And you don't know how the cards are gonna fall. And so the reason I'm very bold about that is because look at when we, when we collect egg donors for third-party reproduction, for example, you know, they're not the, they're not the 30 year olds that we're, that we're asking to donate. We're asking the 20 year olds because that's the most viable egg. So if you want egg freezing to work, you're never able to get a better egg than in your early twenties. And so that's why I'm saying like, you, you just completed this huge milestone of your career and now you're you know, uh, with your education and your career. So now you're going to go be able to be in the workforce 
and date the right people or have fun. And what a great opportunity to put in front of yourself. So that's why I suggest or say that if, if you really want this to work, your early 20s is biologically the best time. Do you feel that it's so much better than 28 or 29? Yes. Because to me, 28 or 29 seems so much better than what had previously been the norm maybe at 38 or 39 but to me it also seems that 28 or 29 you might have a little bit better of an idea of where your life is just as an adult why is 22 so much better than 29 well i mean we could debate the age the age factors but but really i i would challenge or say you know if you think about all the things that gets thrown in your plate by the time you're 30. Yes, you might know more where you're at or if you're going to have a kid naturally or, you know, if you even found the right parenting partner. But, uh, you know, I, I just challenge you how much of a weight you will take off your shoulders is if you did it just like you got your college degree, you know, like, or if you went to grad school, how many years is that going to put you out in, in before you're maybe ready to have kids? The, the trend right now is that everyone's getting married later in life. And if kids come after marriage, then, you know, we're delaying things on purpose. I think that, you know, you could do it just once in your early twenties versus a couple of times in your later thirties. And what I'm seeing now, Griff, is that technically a lot of women, because they're not getting these normal AMH tests with their OBGYN appointments yearly or, you know, when they have their scheduled PAPs is that there's early ovarian reserve loss. And that is a real thing. And so you may be 30, but your eggs might be the like reproductive age of 40. And, and so now you're panicking to get egg freezing done at 32 because you didn't know because you just learned about it at 30 and it took you a couple of years to ask your OBGYN or see a fertility doctor or find one. You believe in the cause of its potential because it's revolutionary. How do you then balance that with making sure that people don't receive this as a silver bullet message? Because I think some people are not relaying it as a silver bullet message. They're allowing it to be perceived as one, I think, where I think there's a lot of cocktail parties of like, you know, for example, the, the entire slogan of stop the biological clock. It's a lot more complicated than that. Someone might have male partner issues. They might go to eggs to begin either using their own eggs in the future may not help them or they might not need it. And then if they do, IVF is an entire, another aspect of education. So how do you balance, like, this is something that is so powerful, so revolutionary with it's not a silver bullet and there are these other things to consider. Yeah. I mean, it is a tough debate. Every person is different and there's a lot of people out there. My own sister, for example, that wouldn't even consider egg freezing and she has me as a sister. So I'm, you know, in her ear saying, Hey, I think you should do this. She had a broken engagement. You know, luckily she's dating someone now that, that could be a parenting partner for her, but that has that potential and they haven't decided to go down that path. But I mean, you can look at every individual scenario and come up with a reason why or why not. I guess 
I think that education is power. And that is why all of my platforms, whether it be the experience website or eggology club podcast, or even like the video doc that I'm currently producing, this is egg freezing. It's going to show you and showcase exactly all the pieces of the puzzle, because you have to take all that information because when we know better, we do better. And you have to take that information and figure out well, what works for me and what, what are my goals and what's my values? And like I said, fertility goes straight down to the core of what's your values. So if your values aren't that you really know that you want to have a kid, I just warn women because I've seen it. I have a lot of older friends and I've been in, you know, these topics have been a common debate amongst, amongst ourselves. And because I have older friends, I'm hearing their perspective later later in life. And what I'm, you know, maybe it takes the right person meeting the right person to all of a sudden have this epiphany that you want to have children. I just say that it protects your, your future and why not give it the best chance of survival and the best chance of survival is a 20 year old egg. That's where, that's where we use egg donors from. You know, we, we, I think the cutoff for egg donors is like 27 or 28, you know, for some of the egg banks. So why would it be any different for an individual. What are the biggest misconceptions that you see that the public has or that perspective have about egg freezing? Well, there's a lot and it keeps changing. Like as the news develops their, their story angle to try to get eyeballs because it's very calculated, you know, like I just read an article recently. I didn't know I couldn't get pregnant. Well, that's a very, you know, a bold statement tagline of an art to get someone to click on it. But it is true. I do think that women don't know that they can't get pregnant because they see celebrities. But what, but what have we taught them? We saw, we teach them that Janet Jackson can get pregnant at 50. We tell them about, you know, how many other celebrities that have used different types of IVF or fertility and, Oh, they got pregnant. No problem at 40, you know? And so I think what we're doing is we're, we're giving them the false hope in those aspects. And we're not teaching them about their reproductive clock and about their, how their body works. I mean, most women in general that I talk to on a regular basis, don't even understand their menstrual cycle and when they can get pregnant in their, in their monthly cycle. And I think we've pushed birth control. If you look at the evolution of birth control, we've pushed birth control down women's throats for the last 30 plus years that every doctor visit on average, we see our OBGYN for less than 12 minutes, one time a year. That's not enough time to have a conversation about egg freezing or the benefits that it could do. And the conversation is, well, okay, great. I got your pap. Now what birth control do you want for this year? I mean, we don't even talk about whether or not you could have other birth control methods and how you can protect yourself from STDs and STIs. And that could potentially be a deterrent for pregnancy down the line. You know, we're not talking about all the key factors and there's a lot of factors. So it's a big conversation. So I understand why in that 12 minute doctor visit, it's just not possible. So women are going to have to seek information from other places. And that's what I hope to provide. Information should they need to know? For example, in your education, you take women through the process. What are the things that every woman should consider or needs to know when she's deciding on this process? Well, I think that you need to find a clinic that you drive with and that a doctor that you're comfortable with and that you feel like you can ask any questions and you're not a burden. I think that that's super important. I mean, that's why a lot of these freeze-only clinics, uh, standalone clinics are, are popping up is because these 
women want the, the individuality. And I don't know the clinics were doing that really well before because they were so busy with worrying about getting people pregnant. They're worried about their statistic rates. They're worried about getting their numbers increased so they can continue to do business. This is an expensive procedure and not everybody has, you know, 10 K to, you know, embark on this process. But what I say is that what I always say is that where there's a will, there's a way. And, I have plenty of resources to help you source your hormones for less, how to apply for discount programs, how to negotiate multiple cycles with a clinic and, and to debate all those things. So, you know, I can provide all those, those source resources where if you really want to do this, you can do this. But I think you need to have a realistic strategy and a, and a game plan based on your age, Based on how much money you have and your social demographics here, how much you want to invest in your family future and, you know, what comfort level you are about the percentage of whether or not this is going to work. Like there's a couple of egg calculators out there and I can, I can provide a couple of links for your show and you can literally put in your age, how many eggs you, you physically got frozen and, and it will spit out a percentage of how many that, how many, what percentage you to a live birth you could get. So I think you need to start with how many children do you want? If, for example, I want maybe three kids, if I don't get too started late, too started in life, you know, and if I'm the runner, then, you know, okay. If I want three kids, I need at least 30 eggs. I mean, no, no lower than 30 eggs for a percentage. But how do you calculate that? And how would you respond to someone that says, we just don't know how many eggs we should be freezing now? Well, I think that if you freeze in today's landscape of vitrification and you don't have a slow frozen eggs, which is the old technology that was used before 2012, then you can safely say that a two to 12% chance that any eggs that you produce, each egg will have a live birth. So that's a low percentage per egg. But if you think about it, it's just like a a dozen. I always say it's nicer to have a baker's dozen, 13, and every 12 to 13 eggs is roughly one baby. Now that's given you're not freezing over 37, 38, 39. Then you need a couple more in that, that baker's dozen. Okay. That's a good gauge that for the number of eggs. Now keep in mind, just because let's see, cause I, I hear this too. I hear where a lot of women have frozen and they only got four or five that cycle. Well, what that means is it doesn't mean you only have four or five eggs. What that means is you only had four or five eggs grow at the right rate that were mature enough to freeze. So I really think the answer follicle count, which is the ultrasound that is done beyond the AMH test is a good predictor on how many eggs you can produce depending on how you stem. Like we have to be able to take the hormones and, and your body respond to them. So if, if they, if you don't, if you have a poor response, then it's going to affect your cycle too. So don't get discouraged just because you only have four or five eggs that were frozen. That's why I always talk about plan on if you're in your thirties, which most women are right now, there very few 25 year olds or 20 year olds are, are really doing this. There's a select few, but 
I think that it's more commonplace right now. The demographics have shifted from 37, 38 age frame to more than 32, 33, 30 year olds, which is great that that trend is coming down in age quality because that helps a ton in, in the, in the reproductive years. But you know, you got to think like, okay, how many eggs are right for you and have that discussion with your doctor. That's why I say go back and to the beginning portions of find the right doctor for you, find the right clinic that, that you feel comfortable with. You and I have spent a lot of time talking about how people find those clinics, about how clinics should court prospective patients and about the go to market across North America and just what's happening in different markets with this. Are you, what I'm seeing right now is a race by some people that are really ahead and then 80 to 90% of other people, which are just like, yes, we would like that too, but haven't really put forth an initiative in terms of really marketing their program as something apart. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I think among the physicians, I mean, you and I both call on them on a regular basis nationwide. And I think a lot of, there's quite a few doctors that are hesitant because of like, look at some of this news and media and press that had been out. It's it's rather negative to the clinic. Like, oh, because they're doing fun things on Instagram, then quality must be low. Or because they offer discount programs for egg freezing, well, then that must mean that they are not a legit clinic, you know? And that's just not the case. If an average IVF cycle is $12,500 from start to finish, from egg collection to retrieval to making an embryo to implanting an embryo and and having a transfer, then why is egg freezing $10,000? I think it should be six at max. And so because I work with all the clinics nationwide, I have a very good perspective of what each area of the country is, is being competitive with, you know? And I think too, partly these clinics are a little competitive and, you know, they're, they're worried about what their next door neighbors doing rightfully so, because there's only so many, there's only so many patients out there. But I think what they fail to recognize is that this demographic of egg freezing, if it's done well and right, and they hold true to some very, you know, transparent, transparency and not hold their cards so close to their chest that it'll come back and benefit them. Would you agree that egg freezing is moving beyond what we might call the first tier coastal affluent cities? Like, I think we'd probably agree that it's, it's here in the Bay and New York and Los Angeles. And now I think we're starting to see it in Charlotte and, you know, maybe Orlando Mm -hmm. or just other cities that are still, pretty pretty well off economically and pretty well distributed in terms of age and professionalism that we're beyond the coast now and we're starting to see Dallas, Houston, cities like those start to see a lot more. Agri- yeah, I think before before we used to to just talk about how like, oh, it takes so much professionalism to understand how to freeze an egg. And it does. I mean, the embryologists do have to do this with a lot of skilled training and a lot of practice. But what I think is we're, we're now coming to this flux where just about everybody that's an embryologist has had some experience with vitrification. They do it for embryos, you know, that we have more skilled professionals. And that is why it's able to go to the, maybe the, the smaller knit communities like, 
North Carolina or, you know, the suburbs of Texas and maybe up north in like Wyoming or Utah. You know, like these are not necessarily areas that advertised about egg freezing before, but they still need to be able to do it. And so I think that they're putting more emphasis on how this is the growing marketplace for their practice to find the spaces where they could make revenues meet a higher... Suburban Houston is one thing. Wyoming or, you know, Buffalo, New York, where I'm from, or Grand Rapids, Michigan, or that's another thing. Do you think that egg freezing is going to catch on in these areas? Because at the end of the day, you know, where I'm from, where some of the people that are listening from is, is this isn't an affluent area in relative to the, yeah, you're more the bay. And yeah, it's, it's smaller. And just, there's just, you know, this is a place where we're, People are more focused on how much they're they're paying at, at the pump. It's not to say that there's no affluent people, that there's no professionals, because of course that segment exists everywhere. But you know, when we're talking about five thousand dollars for an egg freezing cycle, or which it often is, and then we're breaking that over you know the course of however many years plus storage, we we're talking about a car payment for a lot of people. Do you see egg mm-hmm. freezing moving to these places that are not the first tier cities or even the even like the other larger yeah. populations? You know, i think it depends on how good the clinic is to recruit the talent of embryologists that can do this well. I think that if they recruit the talent and there's going to be, I mean, listen, the urban cities, the New York's, the San Francisco, the LA's, the Chicago's, the Dallas or Houston, you know, those are very, like you said, first tier cities where there's lots of competition, but not everybody is going to want to live in the city forever. Like I'm originally from about an hour West of Philly, Pennsylvania, and maybe someday I would want to raise a family there, you know? And so they need IVF too. And I think that, you know, if the trend is growing, the clinics are going to meet the demand. It's just going to take a little longer for progress to get there. But I know, okay, so so if we're looking at like that demographic person that currently lives in these areas that are maybe a little bit more remote. It's not even a question of remote so much as it is affordability and just the Zeke guys. Like, so the woman working at... Bain and McKinsey or at Apple or at Facebook is hearing this all the time because it's what her coworkers are saying. It's, it's what the groups that she's going to are talking about. It's what she reads. Whereas someone uh, might work for a regional bank or a car dealership in a place where $50,000 is a pretty decent income for somebody that affordability and just priority in terms of, of what the rest of their peers are doing. I, I don't know when it translates. Yeah, yeah. I think we have a lot of work to to do in access to care. And then that's one of my biggest passions is access to care. I mean, there's a number of startup companies at the moment that are currently working on employer plans that they could be supplemental insurance to help cover. I mean, we with Resolve, for example, we're trying to help access to care in certain states with that are medically that they have current you know, friendly, medical friendly fertility benefits. And so there's a lot of work to be done in that entire area. I think that that's a continuous thing. It just doesn't stop and start. And until we address that infertility is a, is it, is a disability, then we have a problem with our whole ecosystem of healthcare. 
because that that affordability issue really is a determining factor of the age as well, right? That's like that's the reason why thirty nine year olds are freezing their eggs because they're the ones that can freaking afford to do it. Whereas, right, right, they've I, had so much earning potential already that their earning potential matches their time, but unfortunately, their biological clock doesn't equal that. So, you know, if you did the statistical figures, or I'm not a math person, but I, I know some friends that are, and they have done this where they, they said, if I would have froze at 37, 38 or 39, how many freezes would I need to equal the same reproductive benefits as if I froze when I was in my early twenties. And it actually learns, turns out that you can, you can do less freezes in your twenties for, I mean, eventually you can afford it, but maybe at 20, you can't. And it would be more valuable to take out a loan in your twenties and buy freezing than it would to wait until you're later thirties and freeze just because you have the economical power to do so. That loan to take out is really difficult to stomach and maybe even not possible to take out when someone's graduating from DePaul with $60,000 for a freaking bachelor's degree in a social sciences discipline. Sure. I get it. I get it. You know, and the jobs out of college aren't those hundred thousand dollar jobs that they think they deserve or want, or, you know, that they, they were promised. I, what I'm seeing is a lot of parents are stepping up as a graduation present and giving their child egg freezing to ensure that they have grandchildren someday. I mean, it's not a bad, it's not a bad gamble. I, what I, what I think though, is that affordability and loans are, are more prevalent than you think. There's a lot of startup companies and fertility focused loans. You know, there's future family, there's egg fund, there's, there's, there are resources out there. It's no different than going and buying a car. You, you said that earlier. I think it's a priority shift. Are we going to prioritize vacations and your latte at Starbucks? Or are you going to put your family future in balance and say, nope, I'm going to go on a, a, a savings diet for the next year to freeze my eggs? <laughs> it's a priority Marketing-wise, that parents paying for their kids' graduation present, that might be the play, especially in certain markets, because it, it comes Maybe. to this is what this is how this is how forward thinking we are. We got Rachel this when she she graduated from Vassar. And so Well, I wish my parents had done it. Although I don't know about you, Griff, but I grew up in the generation where my parents didn't pay for my college. So I paid for my college, I paid for my own home, I paid for my first car, and I've also paid for egg freezing. So I think it can be done. Once again, I go back to the whole mentality that if you want something really, really bad, you can figure out a way to get it. Well, I, I want to conclude with this because it's something that you had talked a little bit about earlier, or, or at least made me think of. And it, I don't feel that it has to be exclusive with or without the egg freezing conversation. I just happen to think that they go together. And some people might think, oh, that this is a way of either pushing or pushing against egg freezing. And really, I think it's it's a more esoteric conversation that we we want to have as a generation, which is just as a generation, did we wait too late or are we waiting too late? I talk about this with people in the field sometimes. And it's, it's just like, you know, for a lot, I, this is just me speaking anecdotally as a single 33 year old. I feel that so many of us just didn't think about this. 
in our early 20s. Whereas in previous generations throughout all of human history, you were thinking about fertility pretty darn young because that was your role in human life was to reproduce and then die. And now we're at a point where, you know, we're not thinking about it in our early teens because we are so educated to not get pregnant by any means necessary. At least anyone in the middle class is taught that rigorously. And then, you know, really not thinking about it in your 20s, because it's like, I just got done with college, which was probably not where I wanted to be or not worth my investment. And now I finally got some liberty and figured things out. And I want to enjoy this, but I'm in my mid 20s. So in a time where that would have really been a mature time to find a partner to start building one's family, it's just not something that we're thinking about. And then all of a sudden, you're like, Oh, we're on, we're in our mid thirties now. Like, so is this a conversation that we need to have? Or do you think about it sometimes where like, and I don't think that it, it means that we should or shouldn't egg freezing. It shouldn't do egg freezing, but is, are we waiting too late? Well, I think if you look at the paradigm shift of, of how marriage and family is shifting right now, you have to go back to how did that start? How did that trend? How, how, where did that come from? And egg freezing really is the most advanced technology since the birth control pill. The birth control pill, when that when that came out in the, in the early 50s and 60s, you know, it was a revolution for women to have the freedom of, of worrying about having so many children they didn't know what to do with and having to be careful when they, when they had sex. And I think that then we pushed it down women's throats for the last 30 years or 20 years. And so now we don't, we delayed it automatically because we are able to enjoy the act of sex in other, it has other meanings. It does, it's not purely for the act of reproducing. And so then that brought on the sexual revolution and then the sexual revolution brought commitment issues. And now we have swipe dating and look how fast and how easy we can go to the next find someone new if all of a sudden our luster doesn't match. And so I think what we're doing is we, and and social media, you could blame social media a little bit on this too, that we don't know how to talk to each other. We don't know how to, what the other sex is thinking. And we are having different value systems where like we've given men the opportunity to be endless bachelors or to be Peter Pan's. And, and so I think we're a byproduct. Our, generation, you know, early eighties babies were a byproduct of the evolution that has just happened now. So are we leaving it too late? Yeah, we are. But luckily because of egg freezing and because of IVF technologies and how this is shaped baby making, it's not as big of a deal as it was when, you know, it wasn't around. So I think that, you know, because we've developed the technology until we're able to, you know, figure out a way to fix the mitochondria in an egg, egg freezing is all we got. So, you know, if until we can grow egg cells from immature PC cells and, you know, go through that whole scientific process, egg freezing is all we have. And what we know is that if you freeze younger, you can be your own egg donor. So these massive cultural implications caused directly or indirectly by the technological revolution of the birth control pill. And by the way, I put birth control birth control on the level of significance of steel 
and electricity. It is massive. that massive. Yeah, it was so important. And so mm-hmm. the solution to those cultural implications could be just unfortunate in this case led by egg freezing? I think it could be. I mean, I'm not a predictor of the future, but it appears that it's on that on that path. Yeah. It's been an interesting discussion with you, Griff. I really appreciate your your views as not only a man, but also someone in the industry. I try to think about it because I always pretend this is why I put our philosophy of marketing really front and center on social media on invite the public and perspective and current and future patients to look at it because I just always feel like Vox is out to get me or, or not to get me to just get anyone or broadly or the Huffington Post or mm-hmm. the, the Washington Post or NBC or News or Washington Post. Yes, yeah, so or yeah. any of that. And just so like, and so I want to be, if I ever have to say like, well, this is why I went this row, it, it's something that I can stand behind. And so I really try to be critical of what messages we're putting out in the field. And, I, I think we can't be loud enough, to be honest. The news wants to go and, and share their perspective of things for their very alternative motives. I, I think we're doing women an injustice by not educating them in stages. You know, when your sex ed class or, or your biological clock or your biology class in fifth grade on how to learn about your period and um, what a condom is, you know, we need to be doing stages of those kind of typical education within the school systems in high school in college. I mean, that's the time period that these, you know, each of the stages needs to progress at the right age group for that young person. And then if you look at, if you just SDs, for example, because this is, this is a growing academic problem in not only the U.S., but nationwide. I don't know if you just saw the article about how we were able to take a a cell and change whether a person had HIV or not. They've now been able to help a man that was clinically diagnosed with HIV be able to become HIV free. So that's a huge advancement, but obviously it's the only second person they've been able to do that for. So the science is still progressing. But if you look at STIs and STDs in general, just as an aspect, you know, if, if you look at who has the lowest STI rates, it's the Netherlands because they start teaching sex, their bodies and the biology of their system and how to have this sex conversation without the shame or the, or the you know, abstinence training doesn't work. We, we know that. They start that as young as five and they have a progression and a system like, okay, at five, we're teaching them their individual bodies. Then it may be at 10, we're teaching them about the opposite sex and their gender parts. Then in teenage years, we're teaching safe sex and how to sit consent and what yes and no means. And, you know, and then maybe in college or high school is when you, you know, there's a progression and we need to be at the right age progression and, and take away these topics. I think that progression makes sense because then it doesn't necessarily have to come to a broad cultural dis waiting to late and not thinking about this to having something to thinking of think about because it's brought to us at the right time of saying, okay, we just spent five or 10 years telling you how not to get pregnant. But now that you're in in your early twenties, here's what you have to consider. And I think that progression, that education really makes sense. Well, we're lucky 
that Griff, we're in the United States. There's some countries that don't allow egg freezing for single women at all, like Singapore and some of the Asian countries that they have very strict laws. They have to be either legally married in order to freeze or like, for example, the 10 year storage limit for eggs in the UK. Like there are different legal regulations that have not caught up with society norms. So at least we're in a country that has those reproductive freedoms. And I think that if anything, you know, there's a lot of medical tourism that's happening in the States because of it. Catching society up with what's going on in egg freezing is what you do best. You did it here today on the show. Thank you, Valerie. Thanks for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. Thanks, Griff. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health podcast with Griffin Jones. If you have a strong opinion about today's episode, we want to hear it. Agree, disagree, or have another point to add, please email podcast at fertilitybridge.com and tell us if you recommend a guest or a topic for a future episode. If you're ready to skyrocket your fertility practices growth and double your IVF cycles, schedule your fertility marketing discovery call by clicking the link in the show notes. And if you just want to learn more tactics to market your fertility center, download our free ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Fertility Marketing on fertilitybridge.com, also available in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast, and we look forward to talking more fertility shop on future episodes.